Hey, good morning, Northeast. Hey, this is a really special Sunday for us. That's why there was special things on your seat when you came in. Uh, and if you didn't notice, there was also a little piece of broken tile. It didn't fall from the ceiling. It was there on purpose. If you didn't see it, it's because you're sitting on it or it fell off the seat. And if you still can't find it, uh, don't worry, don't panic. In a moment, we'll, we'll get you one. But hold on, because here we go. See, here's the deal. Everyone loves a good party, right? I, I love being on time, so I'm going to start my timer. Uh, everyone loves a good party, right? We love good food, surrounded by good people in a, in a good home, having great conversation and hearing laughter roll around the table. We love a good party. But the flip side of that is we hate missing a good party. We hate missing a great party. We hate it when we find out about a party after it's already happened, right? We hate showing up on Monday and hearing that there was a great party on Friday night. We, we hate jumping onto Facebook or Instagram and realizing that there was a party and all your friends were there and you didn't know about it. And you could have known about it had your friends just been your friends, right? I mean, everyone loves a good party, but we hate it when we realize that we weren't invited. In fact, we even have a word for this in our culture, right? We call it FOMO, fear of missing out, because we love a good party. We don't want to miss a good party. While you may not think of Christians as party people, the reality is the scriptures paint a picture for us of a God who is not only throwing the best party, and not only does he want you to be at his party, but the scriptures paint for us a picture of him sending us out on his behalf to invite people to the party. So turn with me to Luke chapter 14. So what we're gonna see today from the book of Luke is that God's not only throwing this party, but he's calling us to extend an invitation to others to join us at it. We see this in Luke chapter 14. Luke is in the New Testament, two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there may be one in the seat rack in front of you. Uh, if there's nothing there, grab your phone, pull it up on your favorite Bible app, and in just a moment, we'll also put it on the screen so that you can follow along. Luke chapter 14. Jesus here is actually at a party. He's been invited to dine at the house of a ruler and in the midst of this, he's watching people and how they are interacting at the party. He observes something that leads him to speak into what he is seeing. Pick it up with me at verse 12. He, Jesus, said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And when one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now just stop there with me. We'll come back, don't worry, but just stop there with me. Jesus here has been invited to dine at this house. There are many people around. 
the Pharisees are there. In the midst of this dinner, Jesus observes something. We read it in verse 7. He observes that people are kind of volleying for position, jockeying for position. Because here's the thing, in the first century, when you threw a party, those of great importance would sit near the head of the table, and those of lesser importance, or none at all, would sit at the other end of the table. So Jesus is invited in. The religious elite are around him. Ironically, he's eating with those who oppose him. But this is the heart of Jesus. This is the warmth of his welcome. And he observes that these people are jockeying for position really because they want to be notable. They want to be seated up front so that everyone recognizes this must be a person of status. So Jesus speaks into what he is seeing and he says to the man who'd invited him, the guy who's hosting the party, when you give a dinner, don't invite your friends. Don't invite your brothers or relatives or rich neighbors lest they invite you in return and you be repaid. But when, instead, when, verse 13, you give a feast, invite the poor, invite the needy, invite those who can't pay you back because Jesus says you will be repaid at the resurrection. You'll be repaid by God. Jesus here is going back to something that we've heard him say over and over in this series to the religious elite. He's going back to the statement that, hey, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And now he's fleshing this out with this image. Mercy, not sacrifice. God doesn't just want you to show up to church and sing songs and throw a few bucks in the plate. Now, don't get me wrong. We're called to do that. But that's the beginning, not the end. That's the beginning of worship, not the end. God desires our hearts, hearts full of mercy. God desires that we share his heart and that our hearts bleed for the broken, the poor and the needy. True faith is lived out, not when we sing in a comfortable space, but when we serve with sacrifice. He's calling us in this moment to mercy So his point was to warn them against working for the attention and the favor of man. Don't do it to be noticed. Don't do it to be rewarded here. Do it so that God sees and he will reward you at the resurrection. But on hearing this, one of the party goers in verse 15, one of the guys seated around the table and hearing this this challenge, shouts out, well, blessed be, blessed be everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Y'all, we're going to be eating bread in the kingdom of God. Yes, my diet will finally end. And in this moment, as Jesus tells this story and admonishes them towards a heart for the broken, this guy, you almost get a picture of like he's making a toast, right? It's a party. He's making, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom, right? In this moment, he's saying, hey, blessed are everyone who will come. And who are those who are coming? He knows He's one of the ones who's come. I'm a religious person. And blessed are we, because we're going to be at that party, Jesus. In effect, he's raising a glass, toasting the occasion, saying, yay for us, because we're partygoers. We've been invited. And Jesus, in this moment, realizes this guy's still missing the point. Jesus, in this moment, realizes he's missing the point. He is only thinking from the perspective of going to the party. He's living from the perspective of an attendee. God's throwing a party for me. 
And Jesus realizes he's missed the point. And I fear we've missed the point too. So Jesus continues by telling a story, a parable. Verse 16. A man once gave a great banquet and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Verse 22, and the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done. And still there is room. Go out. Go out, the master says to the servant. Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel People to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my banquet. So, hearing this guy toast, yea, for us, blessed are those who will eat at the party, Jesus realizes you're still missing the point, and he tells a parable about this party. There is a master who is throwing a party. Notice in verse 16, the master has planned the party and he has invited many. The master has invited many. But when the time comes for the party to start, those he's invited return with excuses. They return excuses, apologies that I can't make it. Now, culturally speaking, a banquet, to be prepared in a banquet of this magnitude, everyone at the table would have had in mind probably a wedding feast, a wedding banquet, one of the biggest of the bigs to host. And the thing about the first century here is that HEB isn't down the block. To prepare a party of significance requires tons of work because you're not just going to the grocery store and hitting the frozen food section and getting what you need for a bunch of people coming over tonight. Nor are you driving to the forum to Party City where you can pick out within an hour perfectly matching appointments for said party so that everyone compliments you on the decor. In order to host and throw a party in the first century, it required months of planning, storing up dry goods that wouldn't perish, making deals in the marketplace with merchants to secure enough meat that they would kill at exactly the right time that you could pick it up and cook it without it spoiling for that large of a gathering. And in a wedding feast in particular, you were expected to invite the community around you because they had helped you raise your children. This was a big deal. And to host these people, they would often have to build something off the side or the back of their house, a pergola where everyone could sit and dine together. This required planning. It required an investment. It even required light construction. Everyone understood then that when you are going to this much work and you are invited, you show up. And yet in this setting, in this scene that Jesus is painting, those who are invited send excuses. Two of them pardon themselves for they have purchased something they must go see. One has married and needs to stay at home. 
The two have purchased something. We've purchased something. We must go see it. The reality is, though, who purchases land without checking it out first? And who purchases five yoke of oxen without first checking to make sure that they're not old and decrepit? The problem was not that they needed to go check out their purchase. The problem was they loved the world more than they loved the master. They loved the things that they had more than the one who had invited them. And so what does the master do? Jesus says the master became angry. Why? Because not only has he worked for this, not only is their expense tied up in this, but in this culture, understand that a rejection of an invitation is a rejection of the inviter. To reject this party that you'd already said you would come to is now to reject the person who has invited you to the party. This is deeply personal. I don't want to spend the night with you. So the master becomes angry and he says to his servants in verse 21, go to the streets, the lanes, get the poor and the needy. But they come back and they say in verse 22, we've already done that, but there's still room. Hear this. The master has prepared a party. He has invited many and there's still room at the party. And so he tells them, go further out still. There's a transition from streets and lanes in verse 21 to highways and hedges in verse 23. It shows a deepening of the search for people. It shows going beyond the city, now beyond the city, to, to get those who are bruised and broken on the outskirts. This, this image would have been vivid for those seated around the table. Those who aren't even allowed in the city, who don't live in the city, are those who are unclean and not fit to be around the community. And this master is saying, go to those that everyone else has deemed unfit and unclean, and you bring them, compel them to come, because my house will not be empty. Jesus is trying to teach us two things in this parable. Two things. First, he wants us to understand something about God and about God's heart. But secondly, he also wants us to understand something about us and about our role and our response. First things first, Jesus is teaching us something about God and his heart, that God has a heart for all people. God has a heart for all people. Look at the story. Everyone in the story receives an invitation. Those, those who are close to the master at first, and then he goes beyond them. By the time the story is over, everyone is receiving an invitation by the master to come to his party. This is the heart of God. Everyone is invited. God extends an invitation to both the man with possessions and those who are poor. He extends an invitation to those with homes and those who are homeless. God's heart is not just for those that we look at and determine are clean and tidy. His heart is for those who are broken and needy. God's heart is for those who appear all put together at church. And his heart is for those who are unmistakably not all put together and they argue on the way to church. God's heart is for people like you and for me. 
He's hosting a party. He has invited many, and there's always room at his party. This is the gospel. John would put it this way, that God so loves you, God so loves the world, that he gave his one and his only son for you, that you would know that there is a party, that you would receive an invitation, that you would come to understand that the Father's heart screams this, you belong here with me. And Paul then in Romans would take it further and give us a real clear image on who we are then by telling us in Romans 5, verses 6 and verses 8, that while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. He died for the ungodly. Verse 8 says, but God shows us his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were weak, Jesus came. While we were weak, he died for the ungodly. Who are we in that reference? We are the weak, we are the poor, we are the broken, and yet we are the invited. If you didn't know this about God, hear it from Jesus' own mouth. Our Father is planning a party and he wants you to be there. You are not too far gone. Your past doesn't scare him or intimidate him at all. He doesn't blush at it. He doesn't blink. He sent his son that you would know there's a place at the party for you. You know, the awesome thing about receiving an invitation to the party is, what do you have to do? What do you have to do? You just have to say, yes, I'm coming. All you have to do is reply, RSVP. Maybe go on Evite and click a button. But really, there's really nothing required of you except acceptance. And what God asks us to do is just accept the invitation. And we do that when we confess our sin. We place our faith in Jesus. We say, I'm with him. God, I'm trusting in him and in his work. And I'm trusting that you love me enough that you would invite me. And I'm leaning into that. God, I say, yes. Have you said yes? to Jesus' invitation. If you haven't, would you say yes to his invitation right now? There's a second thing, though, that he wants us to see in this story. Jesus is not just teaching us about God's heart. Jesus is teaching, something, teaching us something about ours, something about our place in the story, something about our response to God's heart. Here's the thing. What he's trying to get across is that we are called to live with the mindset of an inviter, not an attender. The gospel calls us to live with the mindset of an inviter, not an attender. Now let's unpack this for a moment from the story. Think of this story. Who are we in the story? There's only a couple of characters that we can choose from. I'll go out on a limb and trust that you assume and, and understand that you're not the master in the story, right? That leaves us with a few other characters, right? The reality is all of the characters have been invited. We can be those who turn down the invitation because we're too busy. We could be the poor and the needy out on the highways and the byways of life, which, by the way, we absolutely are that, but the problem in the story is that we view ourselves only as attenders in the party, right? We view ourselves like the guy in verse 15. Blessed are all those who will eat bread in the kingdom. 
And we're excited that we've gotten an invitation and we are a party goer, we are an attender. But there is another character in the story, a character that Jesus wants us to see and Jesus wants us to be. We're the servants in the story. Because the party hasn't started yet. And until the party starts, we are not attendees. We are invitees. We are inviters. We are called to go out. And until the party starts, ensure that the Father's house is full. And it's not until the party starts that we become attenders of the party. Up until that moment, Jesus is communicating there is work to be done in his kingdom. And he wants us to extend his invitation to those he longs to save because we are the servants in the story. And the, the, the problem is, this is in such contrast to the Pharisees who were focused on all of the wrong people. They were focused in thinking only on themselves and receiving honor at the party. They were focused on receiving honor at the party. Where will I sit? What kind of mansion will I have? Heaven will be great for me. And they're living with the wrong mindset. Heaven hasn't come. And you're not there yet, which means you're commissioned to live as a servant. It's true, we are invited to the party, absolutely, but he wants us to know that because the party hasn't started, we have a job to do. And here's the thing, we often forget that it is better to be a servant of the Father than just someone who's sitting at the party waiting for it to start. We don't think that way though, right? Because we don't think about being servants at the party. We want to think about being the honored guest. Here's the thing, right out of college, I got a job working for the public relations department of the school. One of the things that they did was they thought about hosting parties for the school. They thought about hosting groups of people, hosting conferences, hosting concerts, and in the midst of this, we were kind of the party throwers, right? We made all the noise about the school to get people to come. And as a part of this team, being new to the team, I received the grunt work of hosting those that had come to, to put on the party. So when they invited a musical group, when they invited someone special, a speaker or a performer, I was assigned to be their liaison and to help them and to get them anything that they needed. And my job was to drive them around or follow them around or get them green M&Ms or whatever it was that they wanted, right? Because we were responsible for throwing the party. And they needed someone to be close to these people who were helping throw the party. And I was that guy. I got to hang out with some really amazing people in the process. The song that we sang at the beginning of service, written by Phil Wickham, sung by Phil Wickham, I got to hang out with Phil Wickham at one point. He will never remember that because I was pretty much just his water boy. But that was an awesome weekend. I got to be close to him. I got to hear conversations in the green room with him. I got to host him and get him on stage and hold his guitar at one point. I felt like I was a school child, right? Like, oh. <laughs> I got to host these parties. At one point, I was even invited to introduce the special guests, stand on stage in front of this crowd and introduce who we had invited. And it felt so good to be in that position and not once did I balk about the fact that I was just a servant? Because here's the deal. 
Everyone else had just been sitting in the seats, distant and removed from the action, and I got to be so close to it that I got to know the heart of those who were hosting the party. We think all the time about being at the party from the perspective of a party goer, and we're missing the point. It is way better to be a servant of the Father and close to the action because when you're in the midst of that with him, you get the best seat in the house. You're the closest to what he's doing. And it's a privilege in that moment to be asked to do anything at all. Jesus wants us to understand you're not just an attendee. You've been called and commissioned to be an inviter. That's why today is so significant. In the life of our church, today marks the two-year anniversary, something that we've sought to do. We call the Imagine Initiative. Our vision as a church is very simple, to bring Jesus to every home in the northeast corner of San Antonio. It means our vision is not to bring everybody here. Our vision is to send everybody here, there. Our vision is not that we would huddle out and stay on our campus, but rather that we would go out because we understand we're the servants in the story. We understand that we're called to extend the invitation. And that's why several years ago we launched the Imagine Initiative because we're the servants in the story. We've been sent to invite the broken and, and, and we are the broken, and we want to be a church of broken people for broken people who are telling them, you belong here. You belong at this party that God is hosting. So several years ago, we launched the Imagine Initiative. We believe that God was calling us to do more. He was calling us to invest more, to reach more, to extend more invitations, to baptize more people, to plant more churches, to train more leaders. And out of that came imagine, because we knew if he was asking us to do more, we needed to resource more and invest more. Imagine then is a pursuit of, of three things. You can actually see it because we've given you an imagine update on your seats. By the way, this is called a newspaper design. Newspapers don't exist anymore, but the way that you open a newspaper is by folding it down. We know it's not backwards or sideways. It's exactly the way we wanted it to be. And on this thing that's exactly the way we wanted it to be is information about what we're trying to do because we're servants in the story. God's invited us to extend ourselves in a couple of key ways. First, we want to be impacting our community. We believe God is calling us to do more in our local community. We don't know what all those things are yet. We simply know he's calling us to be ready. We've been researching and meeting with ministries, but what we know is that God is calling us to the broken, to the poor, to the needy, to those who don't even realize there's a party that they're missing out on. And we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus to them in the community. And in the midst of this, though we didn't know exactly what that would look like, we understood that the responsibility of a servant in the story is to say, here I am, send me, and to be ready for when the call comes. And so we decided we were going to start resourcing these things 
now instead of waiting for all of it to become clear and then playing catch up with the call of God. And we don't want to be playing catch up. We want to be ready so that when God says go, we're able to jump on what he does, jump on the doors that he opens. Second thing is we want to be multiplying ministry. A part of Imagine is resourcing multiplication. We are committed to local and global church planting. Do you know that in the past five years, Northeast has planted three churches? Three churches. A church plant is not like a physical plant. It's a, it's a group of people sent out to a new area to start a new church. It is the most effective way to bring Jesus to every home. It's the most effective way to see people respond to the invitation. We planted three churches in five years. Right now, we have another resident, church planting resident on our team, and we're getting ready to launch Charles out the beginning of 2021. That will make four. Not only that, we just approved as a team and are moving towards our first overseas church plant in partnership with our ministry partners in Peru. Isn't that awesome? We've been desperately trying to send a team to Haiti for some time, which keeps getting blocked by all of the political drama there. Our next trip is slated right now for October, and one of our conversations there is another overseas plant in that city in Haiti. Because our board, our leaders, have a vision to plant a new church every two to three years. It's what we're called to do. We're seeking to be obedient. It requires hundreds of hours of investment behind the scenes that you will never see, pouring into leaders and resourcing them financially because we believe that we are inviters, not attenders. We're servants in the story. But a big, big part of Imagine also is addressing space constraints on our campus through the building of a new worship center. And all of the people sitting in the lobby right now said, amen. Because here's the deal. We're already at three services. We're, we're at three services right now. And our two later services, the prime services, right, are over 80% capacity regularly. In fact, most weekends, this one is teetering between 90 and 100% capacity. We've gone over 100% capacity multiple times just this year alone. The reality is you're already inviting people to the party and they wanna come. And yet each and every week when it gets this full, we watch people walk back to their car. And my fear in that is that they walk back to the car and don't know Jesus yet. They walk back to the car and don't realize that there's a party that they've been invited to. And we're servants in the story. It's our job to see them invited. This Easter, we're having to go to five Easter services, breaking across the weekend now, not just Sunday mornings. This is not the plan long-term. The plan is to make a bigger dance floor because people have been invited to the party. And that's why several years ago, we voted on this as a church and approved it. We launched into this. We're here now in the two-year anniversary of setting aside and investing in it. And we have to address it because we're called to be inviters, not attenders. That's who you are. What does this mean? What's the takeaway? 
Two simple takeaways then from this weekend. First, who will you invest in for the sake of inviting to the party? Who will you invest in for the sake of inviting to the party? That's what the broken piece of tile is all about on your seat. If you couldn't find it, if it's not there, if you don't know where it is and it's not under the seat, um, I think we have some extra tiles in the back, and so they're going to come in. If you don't have one of these, you're going to need one in just a few minutes. So if you'd courageously put up your hand, uh, we'll get you a tile, because here's the deal. I want you to take this tile. In a few moments, we're going to play a song and reflect, and I'm going to ask you to pray and ask God for the name of one person that you will invest in for the sake of inviting to the party. Here's the thing, six times in this passage, we see the word invite. And the word isn't just invite, but in Jesus' context, in the language in which he's speaking, it had this, this sense of cultivate, cultivate the invitation. This isn't like a cold call that Jesus is, is commanding us to do. This is cultivating relationship for the sake of inviting them to the party and not just saying, hey, come to Jesus' party. It's saying, hey, I have a seat saved for you. You're coming with me. I'll drive the car. So in a few moments, we're gonna ask you to contemplate who are you investing in that you would invite to the party? But the second thing that we're gonna ask you to do, that I'm gonna ask you to do, is would you prayerfully consider partnering with us in Imagine? We have one more year to go in this project, and we're getting so, so close. So here's a little, little, little mini update. We're gonna give a larger, more technical update that we post online uh, this coming week, we hope. Um, but just mini, mini update. The great news is we've already had people who have jumped in with us from the very beginning of Imagine. We've been at it for two years. We have a group of people who've pledged $1.6 million already towards Imagine. Isn't that awesome? When we started this endeavor, we did have a little bit of debt left over as well. Our commitment was to pay that down. That will be paid off by the time hot weather gets here. We are so close, two months away from paying that off. Isn't that amazing? Good news. Good news is our construction plans are almost at 100%, which means that we are working with general contractors right now to take bids to secure the contract, and we are aiming for what we pray will be an early summer groundbreaking. That is good news. Good news in the midst of these plans, too. We have updated building pictures, but I know you guys don't really want to see those, so we'll just move on. Okay, we'll show you two of them. You twisted my arm. Because here's the deal, we need space. And so we are designing a worship center that will hold 600 people, will roughly double our space. We're creating an environment with a bigger lobby, as you'll see in the next slide, because we want our people connecting and lingering longer in relationship. Because all of this is about relationship. All of this is about inviting people into the party. And we're so close, guys. But there is bad news. The bad news is the economy is really good. It's kind of weird bad news. How is that bad news? Well, it's probably not bad news for you and your business. It's bad news for us and our business. Because when you're trying to build a building, when everyone else is building a building, it gets really competitive. And honestly, right now, it's really expensive to build. No one wants the work. 
because they have tons of it. And church work is pretty rare and unique, and it involves a lot of detail that contractors normally don't get into because they build strip malls, not worship centers. It takes more time, more attention. They would rather just keep building strip malls, do it faster for the same amount of money. That means that we have to pay a premium right now in a red-hot economy just to get people with us on the project. The flip side of that then is because the costs are high, we're not able to build the kids' ministry lobby like we had hoped. Well, we still have all of our kids' space. This was just the first step towards moving us to some renovation, and we're not gonna be able to take that first step. It doesn't impact ministry at all. We still have the kids' room that we need to keep moving forward, but we were hoping that this would kind of swing us into phase two quicker. We're just gonna have to put that on hold. Jesus knows when phase two is coming. We're gonna have to trust Jesus with that, but for right now, we're not gonna be able to do that part, the kids' lobby, because we need to be good stewards of what we have in a pricey economy, right? But the great news is that we're still moving forward. The great news is that we're aiming for this to start really soon. But it is pricey. It's not cheap to build, especially now. And this is why I'm asking you to prayerfully consider partnering with us. That's why part of the Imagine update is this little commitment card. If you are not a part of this yet, if you didn't even know that this was happening because you're new, would you prayerfully consider partnering with us? We're asking that you take this home and that you pray over it as a family this week. We already have a host of people, like I said, who have been committed with us for two years of a three-year commitment. We're asking you to just pray about being a part of it for the last year, for the last 12 months, either a, a one-time gift or making a monthly reoccurring gift over and above our giving because we can't stop doing ministry now, but over and above our giving for 12 months. All the people in the room who've already been committed for two years are like, man, that's a good deal. Y'all got to get on that. <laughs> and the reality is we, I've talked to people who are like, hey, if you need more than three years, let me know. That's the heart of our church. That's the heart of people who are living as inviters, not intenders. And we're asking, would you live with that heart with us? Would you take it home and prayerfully consider that? And as God leads you, fill that out and bring it back next weekend, March 8th. But far more important to me and far more important, I believe, to our Father's heart are the broken people. These are literally broken pieces of tile. They're called brokens. They're discarded. And we bought them. We redeemed them. Because we have a Father who has bought and redeemed the broken people. And so in a moment, as we play a song and as we ask you to reflect on the lyrics of this, that God has come to rescue us, would you prayerfully ask him, Father, who do you want me to invest in and cultivate a relationship with for the sake of inviting to your party? If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made, or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media, download our app, or subscribe to our weekly podcasts. 
Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.